Hey everybody, welcome back to another Bald Movie. Today we're going to be talking about the 2001 uh, movie directed by Cameron Crowe called Vanilla Sky. Uh, you might recognize Cameron Crowe as the writer of Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Also the writer-director of Say Anything, Singles, Jerry Maguire, Almost Famous, um, We Bought a Zoo, <laughs> one of his lesser-known titles. Uh, this was based on a Spanish-language foreign film, Abre los Ojos, Open Your Eyes, which also starred Penelope Cruz. And as far as I can tell, the Spanish-speaking Tom Cruise, uh, he's a very handsome individual. Uh, the American version stars Tom Cruise, Penelope Cruz, Kurt Russell, Jason Lee, Cameron Diaz, Michael Shannon, a very young Michael Shannon, Tilda Swinton, Alicia Witt, uh, who Bald Move last might recognize as the matriarch of the Crow family and Justified. Uh, Noah T- Taylor, which Bald Man- Move, blah, which Bald Move fans might recognize as the dastardly Bolton Lieutenant Locke from Game of Thrones, and Timothy Spall, who everyone but Jim will recognize as Peter Pettigrew slash Scabbers, the Rat from Harry Potter. Uh, I don't want to say t- this is going to be an odd like spoiler free uh, upfront review because I think this movie the less you know about it the less you uh, you go into the movie the better off you will be and since I missed this when it was big 20 years ago uh, I didn't know much about it and I, I'm glad of that so I think uh here's what I'll say this movie is very uh not controversial it's very polarizing it has about a 45% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes Roger Ebert gave it three and a half stars. I really enjoyed it and thought it was thought-provoking, very well-made, very well-acted and crafted. Uh, and I'm going to leave it at that. Jim, what's your opinion? Yeah, so the first time I saw this was maybe a couple years after it came out on DVD. Um, so almost 20 years ago, this is the second time I've seen it in, in 20 years. And I found myself really enjoying it, too. It wasn't until after I watched it this time around that I went and I looked at the reviews, and it's... It, you're right it's polarizing and i think a lot of people can't get over the fact that this is you know you said it's based on this uh abrios los ojos um but it's not just based on that movie it is that movie like, like a I shot can't for think, shot remake i can't think of any other movie where the same actor plays the same character <laughs> just speaking a different language in all the same scenes like yeah there's no difference from from what i could tell with the little cursory viewing of uh abre los ojos I, I didn't actually view it i just sort of went and looked at some of the screenshots and stuff it's identical identical yeah. i read the synopsis identical yeah so i and i think this only came out three years before the release of this so like maybe it felt more like plagiarism than an adaptation um and i think it was high that movie was highly regarded at the time but i don't know there's a lot of things like penelope cruz won a razzie for worst actress for this movie that's a fucking assassination yeah yeah uh that's completely uncalled for and unjustified I i i don't i can't fully explain it like i said maybe if you saw uh the uh the the, the spanish speaking version of this first then it's just it, it's just such a a copy that um i but that's the only thing i can think of um i do want to see the spanish version of it because i quite enjoyed this and if it's a shot for shot remake i think that'd be kind of interesting okay i think it's time for us to shift to this the spoiler part of the review we're actually going to talk about the movie and if you haven't seen it again uh kind of a checkered recommendation you got a 50 50 shot of whether you like it or not or maybe much higher if you haven't seen the original i think so. um 
so go please please pause this go off and see it uh if, if you need to do so and then come back and join all right presumably you, you've done the the homework required to enjoy this review without being spoiled uh what okay I will say that I was a little spoiled by this movie because when we talked about watching it, I can't remember why we just, it just came up, uh, you know, as I have vanilla sky. Yeah, I haven't seen that. And then you and Cecily started debating whether this should go in the pulp and prestige. Um, and it turned, and cause I knew nothing. I thought that this was like a well-regarded Oscar winning film or Oscar nominated film. That's not true at all. Um, but, and I remember that like Tom Cruise face is fucked up, but I really only think I remember that because, Kanye West shouts it out in his Through the Wire <laughs> song where he had his uh, car accident. Um, so I kind of understood that Tom Cruise's face is fucked up and he wears a mask. But you guys debating whether it should be in Pulp or Prestige revolving about around whether it's a science fiction film or not. I'm, I was the entire time waiting for the sci-fi twist. It's hilarious that you say that because having seen this movie 20 years ago, I was also doing the same. Waiting yeah. for the sci-fi twist I knew was coming. Because, man, it comes way later than I remembered. Way yeah, later. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's effectively um, just a Sixth Sense end of the movie reveal. Except for the Sixth Sense at least had ghosts and shit from the very beginning. Like, it's, it's reveal, it's twist was that, you know, uh, Bruce Willis himself was a ghost. But, like, this, like, at first I thought, at first I'm like, okay, this is a movie about... A rich kid coming to grips with his success and how much of it's earned and how much of it is like he's trying to self sabotage and and you know his relationships and coming and then uh, takes a sharp act turn, a violent turn in Act Two into like this taut psychological thriller, and then like well into the third act, halfway through the third act, it gets like really weird and then it just reveals that. Yeah, it's it's essentially a science fiction piece where this entire movie has been playing out in someone's head as he is frozen in some kind of Alcor slash Phoenix uh, Institute cryogenics lab, yeah. experiencing a lucid dream package and is preparing to be awoken or well, I guess he's presented with the choice whether he wants to continue the sleep and cryo sleep or take a uh, take a shot in the real world. Um yeah. And I definitely want to talk about all that stuff, but but where the hell do you want to begin? There's a couple of observations I want to make. See if you agree with me. Okay. Uh, this soundtrack is both great and terrible at the same time. I love all of the sound. This is a very l- l- mid to late '80s soundtrack. Lots of REM, but it's very jarring and clashing when they're used. Like, you know, yeah, I don't think it's particularly well used music. I think like uh, there, there's a Radiohead song up at the beginning that I really thought was, you know, I really like the song, but mm-hmm. I don't know that it's it's amazing. I'll, I'll say there's one song in this that I don't really like, and it's unfortunate because it's the title track Vanilla Sky written by Paul McCartney specifically for this movie. It's it's just not my cup of tea. Yeah. Um, I thought that this movie does a lot of really interesting like pieces of foreshadowing with um, because like there's hints throughout the movie if you know what to look for about you know this Benny the dog uh, this this dog that gets frozen in a lake and then recovered and then there's like different things you find out about Benny like sometimes you find out that Benny is like oh he's he's perfectly normal and it seems like he's a normal dog but then there's a an appearance I think it's on Conan O'Brien maybe or maybe it's Dave Letterman where he appears like he's catatonic or depressed 
And those revelations kind of line up with, um, I guess, as Tom Cruise's various participations in his, his dream slash nightmare. Um, I thought that was interesting. Um, there's also a line where he's talking about treatment with the, his condition with the doctors. And he says, oh, this their plans seem like science fiction to me. Things that jumped out. But really, there's nothing to let you know what you're in for until like the final 15 or so minutes of the movie. Um, yeah, I, I do think there are, there are some breadcrumbs, things that having seen it before, I was sort of picking up on knowing the ending of this movie. Um, the, yeah, Benny the Dog is probably the biggest one, I think, uh, especially in the early going of this movie. And, and like you said, things sort of ramp up when you get to the Kurt Russell and uh, Tom Cruise stuff where it starts to get deeper into his psychological analysis uh, you you start to see the edges, you start to see the cracks of that reality. But then, like you said, it turns into this thriller and you're just thinking, oh, well, it's a guy with a serious head injury. Uh, it's a guy who is traumatized by, you know, his this betrayal where he's driven mm-hmm. off the fucking cliff here. A- and you think, okay, well, this is just all in his head. Like, this is a game of did he kill this person, didn't he? And by the end of the movie, that's just totally changed and there's a point there's so many red herrings that don't like they don't feel cheap or unearned like for example there was a part where i was working up a theory that jason lee was doing all this to him as a form of revenge yeah you know like because he's so jealous throughout the whole movie right and he keeps saying over and over like oh you're amazing uh you you look fantastic you're great with women uh Uh you're great with specifically the woman that i came here with Uh, yeah there's that one really interesting there's that, one, there's that one great scene where like after Tom Cruise gets his miracle treatment that puts his face back together where like Jason Lee says, oh, my God, your face is coming apart. The seams it's splitting open and Tom Cruise starts to free and he's like, ah, I'm just fucking with you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's definitely the hint. But <laughs> nah, none of that. None of that. Uh, it matters. wasn't. His. It was a hint. The, the way that everybody's attitudes changed and everything mm. became rosier and great was a hint. Just that's something different. I thought that the mask itself did a lot of heavy lifting in the, especially in the second uh, act of the movie, mm-hmm. because you've got someone that's like famously good looking, like Tom Cruise, um, and then fully half of the movie he spends either in fucked up, like scarred facial reconstruction makeup, or with this blank. Like, uh, you know, William Shatner from uh, what's that? The Halloween kind of appliance mask. Uh, but you can still see his eyes and his mouth. Kinds of, I, I don't there was something really affecting. I thought about that, that particular prosthetic, the uh, the device, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they say in the movie that it it, it interacts reflexively or something, reflectively, maybe with the movements of your face. I'm like, bullshit. Yeah, it doesn't, that mask do shit. doesn't move at all. Like, like, I thought that was like, like Tom Cruise, like, oh, okay, well, that's good. Because uh, for a moment, I thought this was just a fucking mask. <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, and he's fantastic in this. But uh, the other thing about that mask is there seems to be moments in this movie where maybe the props department was not quite up to the task. Or I, I can't find out. I can't figure out what they're doing with the mask. Because there are moments where the mask seems to be this rigid sort of, like you said, Halloween William Shatner mask. And then there are moments where it's a material that is like a silicone that is very pliable. And and when he pulls this mask off, uh-huh. you can tell it's not the same mask. And I don't know if that's because 
it wasn't intended to be shot in this higher resolution or are you talking about the were... purple the tur- the purple mask no okay, there's another there's... shot where he takes the mask off and it just gotcha. looks bad it doesn't there's all... the same prop they do a lot of stuff with that too like there's this one scene where he goes through the club and makes an ass of himself and he puts it on backwards i love that yeah uh so you can't tell like where if tom cruise is coming or going and it's like a really effective and an an unsettling shot um and and really executed well um but i don't know because like i don't i didn't know much about cameron crow but when i saw this movie i'm like okay i gotta dig into who cameron crow is um so here's his uh uh he, he grew up in california uh, he is the son of a wealthy real estate developer and a public intellectual mother. Um, and he apparently was brilliant. He skipped three grades uh, throughout grade school and high school, graduated either three or four years early. And then while he was still a teenager, went undercover at a local high school and wound up writing the script to f- what the, the end up becoming Fast Times at Ridgemont High, uh, using his connections from his family to get that developed. And I wonder how much of this appealed because he sees himself as this David character um, where he has like, a, you know, a career built on. I, you know, I'm just trying to see, like the the the, the David feels success. like, yeah, that his success is less about himself and less um, and more about him just lucking into this position. And like there's early indications where he kind of s- almost feels like he's self-sabotaging himself. Like, um, instead of trying to work hard and earn the approval of the seven dwarfs, the board of directors that monitors him uh, and and his trust, he kind of like uh, conspicuously shows up late, skateboards through the hallways, you know, uh, leaves a a wake of destruction amongst the women in New York. Continues Uh, to be Citizen Dildo. Becomes Citizen Dildo and kind of embraces that role. Uh, And then when he has this setback where his looks are taken from him and he's crippled uh, and and he has to do his recovery, it spawns him to like genuine greatness Mm -hmm. where he's pouring over like suddenly he now, you know, he's got a... Uh, an appetite for the less superficial. He's going in and reading all the manuscripts and he's really sweating all the details of his magazines and he's trying to resurrect the literary, uh, you know, the literature as a, as a fine art form. And I thought that stuff was really interesting. Um, and I can see why a guy like Cameron Crowe would be gravitate toward this material, but it kind of got exploded when I found out that this was literally a shot for shot remake of another person's work. Mm-hmm. where it's like all that stuff that I saw him injecting himself into, like it feels like it's all in the original material, which I thought was yeah. real. Like that's, that's really weird. Um, there's a, there's a sort of strange eye irony to that whole thing that like you would identify with this material. Cause clearly you don't make this movie without identifying with the original movie. Yeah, um, yeah. You would identify with that sentiment and then go and sort of piggyback on the success uh, and the hard work of the writers of that film to turn it into something for an American audience. And and I see I can see this two ways. I can see that mm-hmm. as like, oh, you're just being Citizen Dildo here, and and like I said, piggybacking on this other hard worker. Or you could see it as this is something I identify with and appreciate, and I think more people need to get a look at. And so I'm putting it out there in you know a language because frankly, a lot of people aren't going to sit and watch a subtitled movie in this country. It's just how it is. Yeah. 
Um, so getting, you know, these ideas out in front of people might have just been important to him. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What's wild is that this seemed like it was his magnum opus. Like he made this at the top, at his height of his career. He took all of the clout that he had built from uh, Almost Famous. I've never actually seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I know all the memes oh. from it, but I've never actually seen. I've seen Almost Famous, and I quite like it. I've, I've of course seen Jerry Maguire. He took all that 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 clout he made he he got and put it into this project. And then there's a precipitous drop off in his career after this. Like I said, the only thing I'd even heard of was uh, we bought a zoo or whatever the hell the the Matt Damon weirdo movie family film. Uh, and and that huh. did not get a lot of great critical reviews. This I, I wonder if like he made this and it's like something very important and really spoke to him and people shat on it. And then he just kind of like, well, fuck it. I'm I'm still rich. Uh but I don't know. He keeps trying. He keeps making movies. Uh-huh. I don't know. Maybe this is where the, the the wheels the wheels came off. It's unfortunate because, like, again, I may, maybe maybe I just need to see the original and that would answer all my questions. But I feel like, regardless of what you thought about Cameron Crowe and whether he should remake this film and how he should direct it, like a lot of people shit on Tom Cruise's performance. A lot of people shit on Penelope Cruz's performance. And I think especially the Penelope Cruz, I thought she was amazing in this film. I haven't seen her in a lot of things that I like, but she was everything she needed to be in this film. Yeah. Um, So much of your understanding of Tom Cruise's character uh, of David comes from who she is and and mm. more importantly who he remembers her as and if she is not just like this kind uh playful spirit throughout mm-hmm. this entire movie that you don't believe it right you don't right. buy it yeah and she's not all just like a like a like a like, a, like some kind of dream girl like you can tell like she has to be unnerved by some things like Tom Cruise's performance at the nightclub and she has to be afraid and she has to be uncomfortable and uh, she has to be like gutted with sorrow. Like she's, she does all the things I feel like a good uh, to go into a good performance and does exact. And she wins a Razzie for this. Like, no, holy, sh- holy shit. Kicking, kicking somebody when they're doing, I mean, I don't know if it's like, I actually thought it was a really good, a genuinely good performance, but it's certainly above average. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's yeah. And, and her character, I, I sort of view as like the, um, you know, if if David is Citizen Dildo, then fuck, I can't think of a good comparison. She's she's the opposite end of that spectrum, right? She's uh, the one who feels things deeply, does not let all of this just sort of roll past her uh, and slide off her back. She she's living a true, genuine life, whereas he's living a, a hollow shell of a life. Yeah, yeah. Um... And, and that comes across in the performance, which is why I think it's so good. I also thought Cameron Diaz did a really good job in this. Um, okay. Oh, you don't I, like I, it? I don't like Cameron Diaz. I I don't okay. think she's an amazing actress. Uh, but I actually will co-sign that. There's been very few okay. things that I've that that I've 100% totally liked her in. I think she was kind of uh, the the sort of crazy 
wide-eyed performance you needed in this, though. Yeah, but it was, I, I thought it was a gradual, like, real of, realization of that. Yeah. Like, you know, she 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 first appears as kind of like this easy, breezy, you know, kind of model actress, like, equivalent to David. And then by the time you realize she's much, she's, she's much more, um, you, you're, you're going on that realization from David. And like, I thought Tom Cruise played that perfect. Like that kind of like, keep the smile plastered, keep talking her through this. This is weird. We're going to get through it until, you know, she's literally driving him off a bridge and, and, and killing them both. Uh, almost killing him, I guess. Uh, I thought she did a really good job. And then Jason Lee, I really like Jason Lee. Uh, I'm not sure why he didn't have a bigger career than he did. Is he My Name is Earl? He's My Name is Earl, okay. which I guess he had a very well-regarded and successful TV career. You know, he also did a lot of, he's done a lot of good work with, uh, you know, Kevin Smith. But I thought he did really good, really good character work. Um, and he's like, I don't know, he seems like the type of guy who would be a wingman to Tom Cruise. He's good looking on his own and he's kind of charming, but also like, you know comes up a little wanting when you stand standing besides Tom Cruise. Who doesn't? Uh, but he's super intelligent. and Unless you like uh, tall guys, you're going to come up wanting next to him. Tall, tall, tall bearded, bearded guys. Um, but yeah, yeah I, like, I, I, I don't know. I, Jason Lee's hair is, is a fascination to me. I don't understand what's happening with it in any given moment. Like, it's not bad, but it's not like... It's, it's just there, and it's wild, and... And you can tell he's trying to do something with it, but nothing is happening with it. Nothing. I don't get it. So let's talk about the end of this movie. Um, I mean, do you want to talk about the, the the middle parts? Because like I said, it's like it's weird because I thought like at every stage of this movie, I had something different to say. Like in the first act, I'm like, OK, this is what I think I'm where I'm going to approach this film in the second. Like, oh, man, I got so much to say about uh, Kirk Douglas's uh, Kurt Russell's rather Kurt Russell's character. And, um, you know, this game, this, this psychological game he's playing here. And then you get it to the end of the movie and it's, that's all bullshit. Yeah. So let's talk about at the end, what do we think actually happened? Um, what they say happens is that, uh, you know, these, these dream sequences last a particular time and then they kind of run their course. And when they're over, uh, there's a choice where you can be woken up from your cryogenic state and, you know, they, they've some hundreds of years have passed and they tell him, you know, you can stay in here and sleep for essentially forever or you can go out in the real world. Uh, but you got to understand the real world has changed. Like all the people you cared about are now dead. Uh, they, they ominously say, like, your fortune won't last very long. Uh, I guess print, and- print has died and without him, they didn't move on. Yeah, um, and they didn't just put his money into like an interest-bearing bank account, and he'd be like even stupider rich than he is now. Or maybe right. I don't know. Inflation just really tore the heart out of the the finances, the deal. Um, and then he has there's like a they, they design a psychological test because his he's got this well-established fear of heights, and the choice he has to make is jump off the building, um, or go back or go back to sleep and and restart to dream over, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um. Then he jumps off, and he his life flashes before his eyes, and then we begin like like then you you hear uh you know Penelope Cruz say open your eyes. I I feel like I reject that a plain reading of that scene. 
here's what here's one theory I want to try out on you, Jim. Maybe you've got some. I do. Did he act, was it time for him to wake up or was this some kind of cynical ploy to kick him off the coverage? Because his bank account was getting low. It's very expensive <laughs> to keep a person in suspended animation running this thing. And uh, it's essentially a trick to get him to either wake him up or pull the plug. Is this the uh, final revenge of the board? Is this like the it board, could be, you know, he's yeah. been a drain on the company, like the resources for keeping him alive are more than they can bear at this point. Or is this a guy who's been in a coma ever, ever since the accident? This this uh, cryogenic yeah. thing is just his like, is this just all him coming to grips with the fact that he's being pulled off? the? He's he's uh, they've considered him beyond medical improvement. They're going to pull the plug. And this is a dying man's brain coming to grips with that. that. That's another that's the other theory I had. That feels extremely cynical. And therefore, I love it. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's totally possible. Can I can I throw out another option here? OK, this is a dying man this is the this is hell for a man who squandered his life mm. there is no simulation he's being told that there's a simulation and every time he tries to wake up from the simulation and makes that choice he's re-wrapped back to the beginning of this movie where they say the exact same line and um so I, I really liked Roger Ebert's review on this because he, before he wrote the review, wanted saw it twice because he wanted to, you know, uh, make sure he was getting the right interpretation. He pointed out something that I didn't get, which is Penelope Cruz begins the movie with saying, open your eyes. And you were, were led to believe that that's a recording by Cameron Diaz, but it's clearly Penelope Cruz. And, and Roger Ebert points out that they're at this point, if the movie is being straight with its chrono chronology, um, Tom Cruise couldn't possibly have met Penelope Cruz's character yet. Couldn't have so met that, her, and if he's waking up to a new reality and it says "Open your eyes," couldn't possibly she couldn't possibly still be alive. Right. So it works in the very beginning of the movie when you hear he hasn't met her yet, and at the very end of the movie, it's hundreds of years in the future and she's dead. Yeah. So who the hell is saying that? And the, and there's the a devil. couple. There's the positive. The other positive spin is. He's a man in a coma, and he's kind of fighting for his life, and subconsciously he's now ready to wake up, and it's actually Penelope Cruz saying, open your eyes, and he's going to wake up in in like a Mr. Robot type of way. Um, but that doesn't explain the beginning of the movie, where Penelope Cruz is telling him to open up his eyes, because that just is, there's no, there's no grand unified theory of the movie that I've come up with yet that would explain that. And it seems like um, in that case, the splice point would have to be different than what they claim it is, right? And I know there wouldn't be a splice point, but assuming that's all in his own mind, he he would have to be in this coma after the accident, having not been the guy who changed his ways, having been a guy who's laying in a bed wishing he could change his ways mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, take his life more seriously, take this relationship that's developing with Sophia more seriously. Um, I think there's some there there. I think you could certainly read it that way. Uh, but I think you could read it in numerous ways. Hmm. You got any other theories? Yeah, I mean, I I think it could be a, a man stuck in hell being tortured by his squandered yeah. life as well. That's, that's I don't know. That, that's kind of where my head was at at the end of this. Um, that, because, I think, is the one that's most airtight because there's no, you know, like if it's just literally no a loop in hell. It. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and they give him, like, in true hell fashion, they give him just enough happiness. Oh, and that ties in with what Jason Lee says throughout the movie. You got to have enough of the sour to make the sweet to appreciate. And you would have to have enough sweet to make it truly sour. Yeah, yeah, like if hell is just unending agony and you get no respite, then you would get inured to that new reality. But if every once in a while you get a combination where you get your face back and you get the girl of your dreams back and it's just perfect. Uh, but I think the the voice is key there, the open your eyes line, because, like we said, you can't you can't have it the way the movie wants you to think it went, and have that line be spoken in both instances by Penelope Cruz. So when did he die and go to hell? Would it be like when he when they I, were, I were the crash? But why would you? Why would the hell loop start like some weeks before then? You know what I'm saying? Like, if, oh, if he's yeah, a, yeah, if he's yeah. dead in hell, why would they start? I, I guess because they need to establish his dream girl. And you need for the maximum. Yeah. You need the sweet to to make this. Yeah. Yeah, because that that crash happens right after the night where they, you know, uh, they spend time watching Benny the dog, and they kind of yeah. kind of fall in love in that one night, right? Yeah, it's the first time he's actually loved. Uh, you know, like uh, I've, they had this really great line. There's a lot of really great lines in here, like. Uh, the monologue and, and Tom Cruise about isn't that what all young people secretly believe that they'd be the one person who'd live forever. Uh, but there's also this kind of like uh, that you, you meet that first person that you think might be the love of your life like that, like that sublime initial feeling. Uh, and there's something to that, too, like um, like that pure moment uh, many, many times turns out to be a mirage because you individually you end up loving the person and, you know, most relationships end in, in the sorrow. Uh, well, all relationships end in sorrow in the long term because <laughs> people want someone, someone dies or, or the other or someone, someone there's a betrayal or something. But like there's something to that, too, like that moment being stuck in time where you've got that like, oh, I just met this great girl and I think she might be the love of my life. And you never progress further than that because, and you're always able to stay in that like perfect state, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting and profound as well. But I really like I, your health interpretation. I wonder if if it could be somehow a strange combination of all of the above because there's a point in the middle of the movie where she says, "Open your eyes," and it's when he passes out drunk in the street, right? Um, or the splice point. Into, what they that? say is the splice point. They say yeah. that is the splice point. Yeah. Right, at the splice point, she says, open your eyes. So it seems like at some point during this whole movie, in what was his real life, he must have heard her say that, and that must have been mm. a big deal to him. But where could it possibly have been? Or or did he just misinterpret the Cameron Diaz character's like, um, over, overly attached girlfriend behavior and like map that onto the Penelope Cruz character? I don't know. I do want to watch this movie because I do think there's a lot of clues. Like, for example, uh, by the time you get to the the end reveal where he's in a cryo lab, um, there's been a couple times in the movie where Tom Cruise gets like a dreamy, thoughtful look on his face and says something like it's at the frontiers of human psychology or it's like science fiction. Uh, and you realize these are all parts of the conversation he has with the cryogenics director played by Tilda Swinton. And like... I'd love to see in this this movie another time to track to see how many of those and like in what circumstances they happen to see like what are the triggers. In fact, were all this were all the seven dwarfs people that work at the cry or work at the uh, cryo lab? 
Because I thought the tech support guy was was one of them for sure. He was definitely in a few scenes, yeah. And I don't know if he, this is you know him inserting himself, or or you know David inserting him into memories, mm. uh, mm-hmm. genuine memories that he has, or if he was legitimately part of the board. It's hard to tell. Yeah, yeah. So I want to ask you about something that I think is just a dead end in this movie, but mm-hmm. it it strikes me as a movie that is too well written to have these kind of dead ends. I hell? got another one the 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 propensity to after you you get you shoot yours. Who is Ellie? Because at Ellie. one point, the psychologist Kurt Russell asks David, "I heard you shouting for Ellie's name in a nightmare," and asks who Ellie is. Is what's Cameron Diaz's name? Uh, Juliana. Oh yeah, you're right. Who is Ellie? I legitimately have no idea, and it's like a good minute and a half of this movie. Oh wait, is Ellie the Alicia Alicia Witt uh, character, who's the um, personal assistant to Tilda Swinton? Because the one I want to ask you is four times means something. Is also comes up like three or four times in the movie at various different points, and I wonder if there's a repetition of something four times in a movie that might also be some kind of clue to understanding it's a lower level or a, another level of it. I don't. I'm looking through the cast list here. There's nobody named Ellie in this cast list. Really, there's no characters named Ellie. Well, then, like I said, I, I definitely want to see this. I, I wonder if I if I want to see the American version or if I want to go back and see the Spanish version. Yeah, I wonder if that's even in the Spanish version. I wonder if this is an insert from, like, a personal mm. insert from Cameron, uh, where he's. It it doesn't feel like um, like a movie like uh, Memento or uh, Inception to name two Christopher Nolan films. Feels like there's a lot more concrete rules. Like he said, like the there's a lot of the, the initial phases of the movie saying here are the rules in which to interpret everything you're about to see. And then you can watch it and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that this this is in a deterministic fashion. This is what actually happened. This movie doesn't give you any of those grounding rules. It just throws you in and you kind of like learn as you go. So I wonder, you know, it's it's a lot because, yeah, it leaves a lot of room for Cameron Crowe just to do weird things like mention a girl's name or weirdly emphasized through four times and it doesn't mean anything. It's just almost like a Lynchian way to increase the absurdity or increase the emotional truth or detach the emotional truth from the film, from the literal things that you're watching. Mm. Uh, I don't know, but I really enjoyed the experience of watching this for the first time. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Do you have any other thoughts on it? Uh, I'm curious. There's, there are some things that certainly couldn't be memories that might be imaginations of David, but I'm Such trying to as... detect where those are. Um, so there's the scene where he's being told, you know, what the what the Matrix is essentially, um, and there's a depiction of his funeral, which he mm. certainly couldn't have any knowledge of, right? And Sophia showing up at that funeral and being all teary eyed, um, and everybody being there, and and that's transitioning transitioned into from a sequence where we are flashing back to actual memories that he had mm-hmm. or so we're told how does that line up is this mm. just a, a blending of memory and imagination or is there something is it, is it another part of the dream scene because there's another early on there's like this really stunning shot of him driving his porsche through in a completely abandoned Times square yeah that is a nightmare slash dream sequence but 
since the entire movie is a nested nightmare slash dream sequence. That's the other thing I would I would check if I was taking notes, I would look and try to keep track of. It's kind of like when you're uh, coding a nested if they'll like counting all the parentheses to make sure they're all. I wonder if there is a wake up scene for every dream scene because they there might be some more like cheats there too where like he wakes up one less time than he's established to be dreaming because there's tons and tons of dream sequences in this movie. Yeah. And again, the entirety of the movie as far as I can tell except for maybe the first act uh is a dream is a dream sequence and even the first act is in doubt because of the open where you've got this like really trippy imagery and uh, uh Penelope Cruz whispering uh, in Spanish, open your eyes, open your eyes, open your eyes, until she finally says it in English, um, which I guess is a nice advertisement for the original. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I got to say there's one interesting concept in here uh, that I've never really thought about before uh, from a sci-fi aspect, mm. and it is the idea of mortality as home entertainment. I find that super interesting in the concept in the context of freezing yourself and coming out of this perfect hibernation after sort of experiencing whatever you want to experience during that. Huh. Like, t- take your real life where you're basically immortal. Um, you know, they, they can freeze you. They can wake you up. They can do whatever with your cells. Uh, you might want a vacation from that, right? And your vacation might be, well, I can't get out of my life in the real world. So let me go die effectively. Let me be suspended, uh, cryogenically frozen and give me all of these experiences. This like, you know, uh, hey boss, I'm gonna take my time off and I'm gonna get over to LE and we're gonna do this LE experience. Huh. It's kind of a. It's not like super different from a lot of different uh, other forms of this, uh, but I had never really considered it in cryogenic stasis. Hmm. And honestly, I don't what? even know if it works because if you're cryogenically frozen, and yet your brain's active. Yeah. How? Yeah, that's what I kept it on wondering. It doesn't like, make any sense. How does that work if the substrate of consciousness is itself frozen to like absolute zero? How the hell is anything happening? You, you Although I guess you have to just throw that out the window because it does. But I, it kind of works because like I think it, you could make an argument that would it would work, but it would work on a very much slower. And they do establish that he's asleep for like 180 years, and he experiences roughly what six to three months of real life during those periods so maybe it's it's like you're processing life but it's at a it's like the opposite of a westworld simulation it happens at like one one hundredth of human speed instead of like a a normal time right uh the other thing is i guess it would be cool is like what if your brain does work like well you know some things that take a long long time like uh going through med school like if you're a well-off doctor you put yourself in suspended animation so your body doesn't age and you go to med school and you learn everything and, and like only like, uh, you know, like it takes you eight years to learn that stuff, but your body's not aging. Yeah. So, so I know Kung Fu moment. Yeah. Anytime you want to do any kind of training or anything like that, you save your body so you can save your you save your body and you only get your body out of storage for like real experiential things. But if it does work at like a hundred uh, hundredth of the speed. Oh, yeah, you're right. It would you take would you like so 300 years to you take you take a thousand years to get into med school. Yeah. And by the time you get out. Uh, they've cured cancer and there is no more doctors. Yeah. yeah. Good point. Good point. Uh, yeah, it's a wild movie. Um, I really don't understand why people, I, I, like I said, maybe, maybe when I see the original, it'll make sense. But, uh, uh, I, I enjoyed watching it. I guess I'm glad I saw the American version first. If, if, uh, the Spanish version is going to make it look like a turd, <laughs> you want to watch them in that order. 
Um, or maybe now that I've seen the American version, the Spanish version will seem like a turd. That's unfortunate. Do you want to talk about our movie for next week? Sure. Uh, we mentioned, where do we confess this at? We confessed that we didn't see the movie Train Spotting on a recent podcast, and we got drug, rightfully so. It's it's a great movie. Uh, it's well regarded uh, as a, a really gritty depiction of drug culture and the things that can go wrong. I mean, I've seen Requiem for a Dream, so I kind of think I know what I'm in for. We're going to see the 1996 film Train Spotting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have never seen it. I don't even know what it is except for it stars Ewan McGregor. And I think they're, they surf trains. I mean, I know it's about drugs. It's but about drugs. It. And they're spotting trains at some point. So we'll see we'll see what happens. That's we're going to be back uh, uh, for next week's bald movie. Uh, hope you enjoyed our discussion of Vanilla Sky, and we'll see you back next week for Train Spotting. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. See ya. In the vanilla sky.